Right on. Well, you can turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. And then when you get to Hebrews, just go back a little bit to Philemon. It's right there. I didn't want you to miss Philemon. So little one-pager in the New Testament. Hebrews will help you find it, okay? There's a party at the coffee bar this morning, eh? <laughs> All these folks patiently waiting. Awesome, yeah, so we're, hey, we're going to just spend one week here in Philemon. We've wrapped up um, uh, Matthew, and uh, my uh, plans, I just sense the Lord, so we're going we're gonna to head into the book of Zechariah coming up here pretty soon, and uh, then be in Psalms on Wednesday nights, looking forward to that. But this morning, uh, I wanted to go to, to Philemon. We're, at, as a church, We've almost taught all the way through the entire New Testament. Actually, like if you consider s- some of the books that have been uh, taught by some of our th- other pastors over the years, uh, all we have left is the Gospel of John and Philemon. So Philemon's an easy tackle, and we'll get to John uh, later on, but I, I, I'm encouraged by that, that as a church, we've almost gone through the entire New Testament. And so, uh, hey, uh, let's, uh, let's just pray as we come to God's Word this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, for little letters, gems like this that are in the Bible that we get to just look into how you are at work in the first century church and some of the things that were going on and the way your grace and your spirit was poured out upon people's lives and, and changed communities and changed homes and changed in- individuals. And Lord, this morning, we just pray that as we spend this time in the word that you do those very same things in us, Lord. Uh, We thank you that the the same Jesus, the same spirit of God that was at work all those centuries ago is here and present today and can do these same things in our lives, Lord. And so we just invite the working of your spirit, Lord, and uh, we pray for your blessing and your anointing upon this time in the word of God in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Philemon, the letter to Philemon. With a, with a pretty quick look here, you can see how short it is. It's, it's, a, it's a short little letter. Um, of the 13 letters that are credited to the Apostle Paul, probably, it's probably 14, but Hebrews is, gone, is in our Bible as anonymous. So I think Paul probably wrote Hebrews, but it's not credited to him. So of the 13 uh, letters that, that Paul composed under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Each of them are actually written either to a church or to an individual. And the way they're organized in, in our Bibles in the New Testament is kind of interesting because, because uh, they're not organized chronologically. In fact, all of the letters to the churches come first. And in our Bible, you could go through, you'll see they're organized this way. Longest book to shortest book. And then come the letters to individuals. You got first and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and they're in this, they're in the same order. It's longest book or longest letter to shortest letter. And um, you know, I think you should, if you're a short person, you can take just encouragement that 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 things that that's just how God's organized things, you know? It's not that you're least or less. Just how God's organized things. So anyways, Philemon's at the end here. And so this, this letter is primarily about 
uh, one individual, his name was Onesimus. We're going to come across that here in a few minutes. Onesimus was a runaway slave. And this is Paul's private letter to his master, a man by the name of uh, Philemon. Now, we don't, have, we don't have all the details, but what it seems like is this, as you read it, as, this le- as you read this letter, is that Philemon lived in the city of Colsae. He was, he was part of the Colossian church. In fact, the Colossian church was uh, meeting in his home. When he received this letter, uh, Tychicus probably brought the letter to the Colossian church and the letter to Philemon at the same time, about 62 AD. And so this man, the church meets in his home. He has a slave. The slave's name is Onesimus. And what had happened is this, is that Onesimus had robbed Philemon. He had stole stuff from his house and he had taken off and he had gone to the city of Rome, probably to hide out, you know, to hide out in the big metropolis of Rome, thought he'd disappear into the bustling city. But the amazing thing is this, as we're going to see, is that somehow in the midst of all of that, God in his providence had another plan. And somehow in the midst of the whole situation, Onesimus crossed paths with Paul in Rome. We don't know how it happens. The letter doesn't tell us how it happened. I mean, you can kind of imagine maybe how it went down. Maybe, you know, Maybe he was imprisoned. Maybe Onesimus was captured in Rome and he was imprisoned and he was put in the same prison that Paul was in. We don't know. You know, kind of like Joseph and Pharaoh's baker or, or Pharaoh's uh, cup, cup bearer. They were in the prison with Joseph. Who knows? How, we're not told. Whatever it is, however it played out, what happened is this. Paul led Onesimus to faith in Jesus Christ. He shared the gospel with him and the guy gets saved. And he who had been a slave of man and a slave of sin became a servant and a follower of Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. He was a freed man in a spiritual sense, but he was still under bonds in a human sense, under slave. And so, you know, when you think about it in this sense, that's like you and I. You and I are like Onesimus. Martin Luther actually said that. He said, all of us are Onesimuses. And, and he was right. We were all slaves. We were all slaves to sin, but Christ set us free. And the scripture says, he whom the son has set free is free indeed. And now we've become servants of Christ. And so in this, in this story of Philemon and Onesimus, what happens is this, or the dilemma that came out of all of this is this. Paul and Philemon were friends. In fact, Uh, We're going to see in verse 19 that Philemon was also led to Christ by Paul. Paul brought him to Jesus. And so Philemon's in Colossae. Paul's Paul's in Rome. The runaway slave who had come to faith in Christ is now in Rome with Paul. And think about it. I mean, this is an awkward situation for everyone involved. A multi-layered mess. You just consider all of the the dynamics of everything that's going on. He's a runaway. He's a thief. He comes from a man's house. Now he's with the man's friend in another city. He's come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this was a multi-layered mess. You ever found yourself in one of those? Those relational, just how did this possibly happen? How did we get here? And how do we navigate our way out of this? And that's the story of of Philemon, in a sense. And so there was a need. 
There was a need for restitution. There was a need before the Lord for repentance, for human relationships to be, to be healed and to be fixed. And, and I just look at this story and I go, wow, this, this really is like a relational maze within the family of God, the New Testament church. You know, often I think, so, so often we, we look back and we think the New Testament church just was perfect and it had it all together. This was a relational mess, but the gospel was working to sort it out. And so what do they do? You know, Onesimus could stay with Paul. He could stay in Rome. He could grow in serving and in discipleship. But then what about his responsibilities to the man who owned him? his slave master back in, in Colossae. Roman law actually permitted that the, a master could execute a rebellious slave, the right to do it. And then there's the fact that Philemon was a Christian. The slave master was a Christian. You know, what would it communicate to the community if he executed a slave who was a believer? Or, or one who would, yeah, one who would become a Christian, no less. And, and if he let him off the hook, how would that be perceived in their culture and in their community? And so we have, we have to, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's hard for us to fathom, but as we read this, we're, we're talking about slaves and their masters, a man who was free and a man who was bound to slavery, and, and how Jesus infiltrates all of those relationships and, and brings the order of his kingdom and his presence into it. How, how the gospel impacts a situation like this. And so all of a sudden when we start to consider these things, like I said, you just see it's, it's a mess relationally, culturally, in the, in the church. How could the gospel of grace season this so that Jesus wins? That's the kind of the question as you read Philemon. And so it's a short letter. I thought we'd do this. Let's just read it right off the hop here and then we'll dive into it. So it says in verse one, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own free will. For perhaps, for this is perhaps, is why 
he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously be given graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Cool little letter. Amazing little situation, how the gospels just begin to, begin to impact this. And as, as we... As we look at this letter, I mean, one of the things we know about ancient letters, and we see this all throughout the New Testament, is that the writer would always identify themselves right off the hop. And in almost all of his letters, Paul introduces himself as the apostle. He says, Paul, Paul the apostle, I write these things to you. And there are a number of letters we know that Paul wrote from prison while he was in custody in Rome. And so in all of those letters, actually, while he's in custody, he introduces himself as Paul the Apostle, but this letter is different. You know, Paul, Paul, although he's in custody, he's been, he's been given freedom to live in a house that he has rented. He's been given freedom to have visitors come through and visit him, but at, during that time, all during that, he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And so he introduces himself to Philemon, and he says this, not an apostle. He says, this is Paul, a prisoner. A, a prisoner not of Rome, a prisoner not of Nero, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I like that. It's perspective. The perspective of faith that he was applying on the situation that he was in. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's under house arrest. And Paul... Paul closes his eyes in the midst of all that he is personally facing and he he chooses to block out all of the secondary causes and he sees his imprisonment just like Joseph saw his imprisonment in, in the book of Genesis. God in his providence has a plan in the midst of this situation that I'm in. Just like he used Joseph to save the world and specifically his own family, the children of Israel during the famine. You know what Joseph said in hindsight when his brothers came to him and they questioned him. He said, what you meant for evil, God has used for good to bring glory to his name. And so when Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he recognizes that where he is in life, he is there by the will of God because of his loyalty to Jesus and because of his loyalty to the gospel. He's a prisoner of Jesus whom he met on the road to Damascus. And you know, I can't, I can't help but, I guess, think of my life, think of, think of your life, 
Sometimes you and I f- face afflictions. We find ourselves in situations. Sometimes the situations and the afflictions and the things that we face aren't, aren't because of providence. They're because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed once in a while, you know. I don't make great decisions all the time. Simply, sometimes I would say we're, we're, we find ourselves in places of affliction and trouble because we made poor choices. We can't blame the results on the providence of God. Sometimes the situations we find ourselves, they're, they're of our own making. When we make decisions that are in clear contradiction to and disobedience to the word of God, that's called sin. And I pay the price for that when I do that in my life, and you do too. But there are other times when we find ourselves in life situations and places that, that are not of our own doing. You know, you might just say, life happened. It just kind of happened. It's just rolled out this way. Here I am. Here I sit in the midst of this. And in those situations, we do well when we do what Paul does. You just kind of close your eyes for a moment. And see that God rules over all. That God is in control over all. That in his providence, he's working for his glory and for our good. And that's a great source of comfort and peace, isn't it? It makes the reality of his presence seem nearer. Paul was a prisoner. But he says this. I'm a prisoner to Christ Jesus. And in the midst of this prison, he is at work in my life for his glory and for his name. Paul, Paul says that, that Timothy was there with him, his brother in the Lord. And so he writes this letter to, to Philemon. He calls him our beloved fellow worker. So Philemon's in the city of Colossae. He's a, he's a Colossian. He was a Gentile. Aphia's there with him. We believe that's his, his wife. Many speculate that Archippus was his son. Like I mentioned earlier, verse 19 tells us that Paul had led Philemon to Christ. Paul didn't plant the Colossian church, but he had had a strong influence there. And because Philemon had a slave, or he had maybe multiple slaves, he's a slave master, one for sure, we, we, we know that he's a man of financial influence. He's got some, some power, he's well-to-do enough that he can have people serving him and in those days, you know, two-thirds of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. And so because he was wealthy, he, he had a home that was an appropriate place for the church to gather, and they met there in his home, the Colossian church. And so Paul calls him a beloved fellow worker. This man, Philemon, was a man who labored for the kingdom of God. And he was a slave master. That's hard for us to get in our cultural context. Aphia, his wife, Paul says, my sister, greets her as my sister. So Aphia too, she was a, a follower of Jesus. And it's significant that she's mentioned because not just had Philemon had been wronged by Onesimus, but Aphia had been wronged by him. Her husband was wrong and, and she was wronged. And, and the way that Paul addresses her tells us that she was as much invested in the kingdom and in the church and in the work of the gospel in Colossae as her husband was. They shared together the gift of hospitality. They opened their home to the, to the church. With them, Paul addresses Archippus. He says, our, our fellow soldiers, like 
Like I mentioned, some believe that Archippus was, was probably Philemon and Aphia's son. Others suggest he was the leader of that early church that met in that home. But I think it's a family, and so Paul greets the whole family, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, and he greets the church in their house. Just kind of a cool thought, you know? The house of Philemon was not a house that was divided against itself. The church met in their house. That family was serving God together. Isn't that an awesome thing? Isn't that what we want for our homes and for our families? They were serving to God together. There was a church in their house. I mean, let me ask you this morning. Is your house a church? Is your family like a little version of the church? Is your household a church? You know, every one of us can follow the example of Philemon and Aphia. We can teach our kids the things of the Lord. We can open our homes to the family of God and, and to those who come in. Our, places, our homes can be homes of hospitality to share with others. You know, in that sense, we're all in the ministry, right? We, we all have a place in the body and in the, and in the church. Paul and Philemon, they, they were brothers in the Lord. And, and it looked differently. How they were serving Jesus looked differently. You know, Philemon turned his family home into a church. I think about Paul, on the other hand, you know, Paul didn't have a family. And so what did he do? We know this about Paul. Paul invested his life into young future leaders in the church, young men specifically. I mean, Titus and Timothy that he called his sons. His sons in the faith, his partners in ministry. By this point in time, he's an old man. He calls Timothy my brother. He introduces him as my brother. Not my son, my brother. He, he's going to take over things here as I fade into glory. And then Paul says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love that greeting. It's kind of like his traditional greeting. Grace is probably one of the greatest words in Christianity, right? Grace. The unmerited favor of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Grace to you, Paul says. He says, in peace, peace. That's the announcement that the angels made at the birth of Christ, peace. Peace on earth, goodwill to, to men. The announcement of the coming of the Savior. I, I mean, when, when you announce peace, that presume, presumes that, assumes that there's a need, that there's a need for peace. It, it implies war, that there's strife within and among us. And that announcement tells us peace. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to have strife and war in and among you. Peace with God leads to peace with ourselves and peace with others. Our God is a God of peace. And there was a certain, certainly a, a sense in, in Philemon's home, though the church was meeting there, though his family was serving God together, that he'd been ripped off. He'd been burnt by someone. He, had, he was facing relational, relational strife. I'm, I'm sure that Philemon was angry when he thought about Onesimus, man. That punk. If I could get my hands on him right around his throat. I'm sure he laid in bed at night. He was a man. Us men sometimes think like that. 
He was ripped off at him. And there was a need for peace to get back on the throne. The peace that is the fruit of a right relationship with God. Paul says he's our father. This peace comes from our father. I love that the words are is in there because Paul's like, he's my dad and he's your dad and he's Onesimus' dad. We share the same, the same father. And unless we recognize that all the way around Philemon, we're not gonna have grace and peace in the midst of this strife and this situation where you got burnt bad, man. Only God can give grace and peace. Our father, and he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says this in verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. You know, I, I think this for us as believers, giving thanks should like just be the habit of our lives. Paul says, I thank my God always. I'm always giving thanks to God. And, and, and I especially thank him when, when I hear of the love that you have for the saints. When I hear of the love that you have for the church that meets in, in your home, when I hear of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, man, I give thanks. You know, I think all too often, my prayers, your prayers, are motivated by people's needs. You know, we hear that they, they have trouble going on, that there's strife, that there's affliction, that there's sickness, that there's this or there's that. Got this going on, they're dealing with this issue, there's that struggle or this struggle. But I think Paul sets a cool for example for us because we also need to pray for people like Paul did. Paul heard Philemon was doing well. And because he, they were doing well, his household was doing well, Paul prayed they would do even better. Somebody just said that to me in the break, you know. Doing good, dude, it's doing so good. I thought, man, awesome. Praise God, you're just doing great. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's when the enemy sees that people are doing well that often he'll launch an attack and, and if he can drag them into discouragement or disappointment or, you know, depression, disillusionment, doubt, then he can trip up their impact upon the lives of others. You know, I think about Satan. He isn't worried about the lost. Satan's already got the lost, he has blinded the mind of unbelievers, the scripture tells us. He's already got them. He saves his attacks for those who are in Christ. For those who are walking with God. And so it's important that we follow Paul's example, thanking God always for and praying for those who are doing great. Because Satan's gonna try to influence that and impact that. Because for sure they're, they're targets of the enemy, and so I would say this, it's not just those who are struggling who need our prayers. It's those who are doing well, too. And so Paul says this, I, I pray in verse six, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I, I love that verse, verse six, that's a great verse. Because it tells us that there is something about sharing our faith that results in us comprehending the the greatness and the beauty and the awesomeness of the gospel. 
that our own personal understanding of the gospel grows when we share. Gets deeper, deeper understanding of all that we have in Christ. And so the, the same report that led Paul to thanksgiving led him to prayer. He prayed for these guys. Paul prayed that Philemon would become more effective in sharing his faith. That's a good prayer right there, to pray that for one another. Man, I just pray that they will become more effective in sharing their, their faith. Whenever you pray for you know, one another, whenever you pray for a Christian brother or sister, pray that one, that they would be effective in sharing their faith. You know, I might ask you this. Do you, do you think that people at your workplace or in your neighborhood or next door to you see in your life joy and peace and a love? Do, do you think that they go, man, I wish I had what that guy's got, what that girl's got? Paul prayed that people would see the good things happening in Philemon's life, that they would, that they would see it and that he would have an opportunity to share and he would be effective. You know, I was thinking about uh, Sam and Melanie and Murray and Beth and Neil and Deb. That's a prayer that we've prayed as a church in the midst of all of the situations that they found themselves in in regards to facing sickness. That there would be an effect for the gospel in the midst of all of these things. In spite of the, the challenges that we see on an eye level that people around them would look and that they would see Christ that they would see Jesus at work. You know, Friday, uh, Murray and I stopped in for a, a quick visit with Sam. It was good to see him. And um, he was on the couch, you know, just dealing with his sickness and his color looked good and he had lots of energy and we had a good shot. And, you know, with his ALS, Murray took, took his iPad and he typed in a question for Sam and, and, and said, asked him if he had hope. And Sam said this, there's always hope. And then we continued to chat and Sam wanted to hear about how God had blessed our church with the property, you know, like praise God how all this has unfolded to the glory of God's name. And Sam wanted to hear all about the acquisition of the property he wanted it, he, well, what are we going to do? What, what, and we, we talked about maybe building a church down the road and all that stuff. And then he said this. I loved it. He said, I want to be there when we unload the chairs to move into that church. And, and on, you know, on a human level with my eyes, I could see the effects of, of cancer on Sam's body. But on another level, man, he shared from his heart and from his faith, and I'll tell you what, I left the Simpson home like blast, thinking, yeah, right, I'll go to hang out with Murray and Sam, and who walks away blast? Me. And so Paul says this, I mean, get what he's saying here about Philemon. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith might become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. We don't comprehend all of the good that is in us for the sake of the gospel. Paul goes on, he says this, 
I've derived much joy, verse seven, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, there is something that is refreshing about the love of God's people. I hope you sense it here this morning. Do you sense it? There's something refreshing about the love of God's people in the presence of his spirit. The working of the Holy Spirit and our love for one another, it brings joy. It ministers comfort. And Paul says this, I, I'm a third party, man. In your life, Philemon, and all the things that are going on, I, I'm a third party. You're in Colossae, Colossae and, and I'm in Rome. But I'll tell you what, I'm a third party, but what's going on in your life is ministering to me. That's the amazing effect of the gospel right there and the love of God's people, that people or groups of people besides those who are primarily involved derive joy and comfort from our love. You know that, that this community looks upon this body and there's a certain joy and comfort they derive from the love of this body. They can't quite figure it out. Took my family to Texada, you know, a spring break. Rented a little cabin there. Just wanted to get away for a couple days. It felt totally ripped off because I thought we were going to the provincial championships for hockey. So I was like, we're going away. And then we didn't make it. So I'm like, I'm going somewhere. So we went to Texada. My wife loved it. No, just kidding. And you know, the boys and I, we went for a walk. Lisa and Isabella waited in the truck because it was just like dumping rain. But me and the boys wanted to go into the Texada quarries and we wanted to go check it out. So we wandered into the quarries and the boy, Lisa's not here so I can tell you that they climbed way up onto a cliff. And I'm like, yeah. The only place they could land was in water, so we were okay. And uh, they started pitching rocks, you know, they're just finding the biggest rocks they could. So I'm down at the bottom just watching my boys and Eli's chucking these rocks and Jonah's trying to pitch and hit the other one in the air and they're, they're just having a great time. And the quarries are full of water and, it, and, and the ripples were just going out across this body of water where there's no movement. And, and that's how it is for you and me, fellow Christians, as we follow Jesus. You, your love is sending out ripples for the kingdom, refreshing waves, and they're touching the hearts of people, whether you know it or not. And that was Philemon. His life wasn't perfect. He'd been ripped off. Not everything had gone his way, but life was sending out ripples for the gospel. And your life is no different. And so Paul says this in verse eight, accordingly. So basically he says this, I've heard of your love, now I'm gonna appeal to it. I hear about what God has done in your heart, now I'm gonna reach out and I'm gonna try and touch that. You've done good, Philemon, and there is more to be done. Y your past kindness gives me reasonable ground to expect that you will not be unkind even though I'm about to bring up something in your life that is not fun, that's not gonna feel good, that's not a situation that brings joy when you think about it in your life. And so he says again in verse eight, accordingly though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. 
And so Paul says, I, I, I want to make a plea to you, not a command, Philemon. I have a problem. There's a problem. And though I could reach in and I could command you to do something, I could insist, I could exercise my right as an apostle. Instead, for the sake of love, I prefer to appeal to you. I'm going to wave and relinquish my rights. I think that that's a real sign of, of strength and grace. To wave and relinquish your rights. Philemon was in a sense under a moral obligation before the Lord as he's going to, you know, if, if this situation plays out, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got to f- forgive, forgive as you were forgiven. And, and as Paul begins to communicate about this situation, Paul chose to motivate him by love rather than his rights as an apostle. He chose love and he made a plea for the sake of love. He, he, he said, I could command you because your duty is so obvious, but I won't. Came across this quote, I want to read it to you, it's, it's awesome. It's from a Bible commentator by the name of Scrogi, and he says this. Love must ever remain the greatest motive to noble action. Just because it carries with it the heart as well as the reason. Love does not stop to nicely calculate the strict requirements of duty, but it acts spontaneously and generously. And then he quoted an old preacher by the name of Alexander McLaren, and he said this, Authority is the weapon of a weak man who is doubtful of his own power to get himself obeyed or of the selfish one who seeks for a mechanical submission rather than for the sworn loyalty of willing hearts. Love is the weapon of a strong man who can cast aside the trappings of superiority and is never loftier than when he descends, no more absolute than when he renounces authority and appeals with love to love. You know, I think about the Christian life. Like so often, I'm a man, it's just, I'm like the oldest child. There's like, you know, duty, responsibility, you know, you take care of business. And so often in our, in our walk with Jesus, we can just live out our Christian faith with that sense of loyalty, with that sense of duty. But you know, the truth is this, is that it's not loyalty and duty that impacts the world with the gospel. You know, the church, they're just, wow, oh, they're so loyal and they've got, they just understand their duty so much. What, what impacts the world is, is our love for Christ and our love for one another. You know, Jesus, that makes Jesus attractive. Jesus didn't say this, if you obey my commandments, you will love me. No, he said this, if you love me, you will obey. And we can do what's right out of our censored, sense of duty but love that moves us to obey Jesus, that's like, that's love that moves us to obey Jesus, that's the ripples on the water right there. Impacting those who are directly involved with us and third parties who are just watching. I love this line. A true man will do his duty. A true man will do his duty. A true Christian will do more. 
A true man will do his duty. A true Christian will do more because of love. That's what Paul was asking. Philemon, I know you got a duty. I'm asking you to do more as we're gonna see. Verse 10, he said, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I love it. Light just changed. That was weird. It's the Holy Spirit, I guess. Or Satan. I don't know. No, just kidding. I love this line that Paul says. He says, I appeal to you for my child. What a line, eh? That he would say that. That's gut-wrenching. If you're a parent, you know what Paul is saying. You know, if you've ever gone before the throne of God for your child, you know what Paul is saying. I appeal to you for my child. And then he drops the offensive name. The name he hasn't mentioned yet. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. And then Paul shares the reality Philemon didn't likely know. Paul says, I became his father. In my imprisonment, somehow that runaway slave came into contact with me. And I, and I shared the gospel with him. And Onesimus received Christ. He repented of his sin and he put his faith in Jesus. And now he's part of the family of God. And Paul uses this kind of funny little play on words because the name of, the name Onesimus actually means useful. And so he says this, formerly he was useless. But now he's indeed useful to you and to me. And so Paul is totally aware that this guy was a, he was a good for nothing. But now this is the wonderful reality of life in Christ. The sinner has been made a son. The sinner has been made a son. And, and Onesimus tells us this, that there's no such thing as a hopeless case. You know, if you ever wondered, could God really save, fill in the blank, there is no such thing as a hopeless case. Read what Paul says about Onesimus. He was useless. I mean, a description doesn't get much worse for a man. Useless. But now he is useful to you and to me. And what was the difference? The difference is Jesus. The love of God apprehended him. Check out verse 12. He says, I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. I, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on, behalf, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might be not by compulsion, but of your own accord. And so Paul tells Philemon, I'd love to keep him. I mean, here's the reality. I'd love to just have Onesimus stay with me. He's been a real help to me. If you could be here, Philemon, and you could come from Colossae, and you could come help me, I, I, I know you would. But you need to know this. Onesimus has been a great help to me during my imprisonment. But Paul says, but here's the truth. I, I, I don't want anything to interfere between you and me and between you and Onesimus. Especially between you and Onesimus. I mean, you're his master and he's your slave. Look at verse 15. For this perhaps, I like that word perhaps. You might want to underline it. I'm going to point it out in a minute here. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while 
that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but as more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so although Onesimus didn't know it, maybe Philemon didn't know it, Paul says perhaps, maybe perhaps this was the providence of God. He doesn't say it was. He says perhaps. Perhaps God in his providence was just working something all out here, just unfolding something for the glory of his name and for his purposes. And now you're going to get Onesimus back. And he's going to be more than a slave to you. He's going to be a brother. And this situation just demonstrates to us that, that, God is, that God is always working. We know this, but God is, sometimes we need to be reminded, God is always at work to bring men to himself, to bring people to himself. The Lord can work his divine purposes even through human actions that are questionable, through human actions that are evil. He can overrule it all to unfold what he wants. I mean, for sure, sinners will be held accountable for sin. But, but God in his providence can make everything serve his purpose. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into prison, and God used it to save him and to save his family and to save the whole world during famine. You know, Pharaoh slaughtering little Hebrew babies and a mama took her little boy and she put him in a basket and she put him in the Nile River and God in his providence sends the daughter of Pharaoh and the little boy is raised up in Pharaoh's household. Changes the world. David, David took another man's wife and murdered him and conceived the child out of, out of wedlock. And yet out of the repentance of his heart, God created in him, in, in him a clean heart. And the Messiah is called the son of David. You know, his son Solomon sat on the, the throne, the greatest of kings. Stephen in the book of Acts, he dies, man. He's stoned to death. They, they murder him for preaching the gospel and proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And out of his death, an intense, intense persecution of the church begins. And what happens? The church disperses and the gospel spreads just from that little center of Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Or the cross for that matter. The greatest crime in the history of the world. The crea the, that creation would crucify the creator and yet Jesus shed his blood to redeem mankind and the sin of this world. See, all these things, the scripture tells us that God is using all things to serve his purposes. And that's no excuse for sin. Now, Jesus will judge sin, but he also rules over all and he overrules all. King Jesus. And he was ruling over the life of Onesimus. He was ruling over the life of Philemon. And because Christ ruled in the life of Onesimus, because he recognized that it wasn't Philemon who was ultimately his master, but that Jesus was his master, because Onesimus came to comprehend that Jesus was his master, he knew that he had to make things right 
with a man whose trust he had broken and whom he had wounded and whose household he had hurt. And so Paul actually says this in verse 17, if, if you consider me your partner, receive him, Philemon. Receive Onesimus as you would receive me. He says, as if, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. I, I love this because to me this is the illustration of the gospel right here, isn't it? I mean, this is the, Paul is doing what Jesus did for you and for me. It, it takes more than love to solve a problem. Love gives. Love pays a price. Love must pay the price and God loves the whole world but his love never saved us. We're saved by his grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved because he sent his son and his son paid a price to purchase us. God saves sinners by his grace. Jesus paid the debt. And when Jesus died on the cross, my sins, your sins were put on his account. And he treated us how I should have, how he treated, he was treated as, as I should have been treated. And when I trust him, he puts my righteousness in my, his righteousness in my account and now he accepts me. God accepts me in Christ. Jesus says to the father, he's no longer a slave. He's no longer a slave. He's a son. No longer owes you a debt because I paid it fully on the cross. Receive him as you would receive me. That's what Jesus says to the father. Father, Receive that person as you would receive me. I paid the price. Bring him into the family. And so Paul says this in verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do. Get this. I love this line knowing that you will do even more than what I say. Remember, a true man will do his duty. A true man will do his duty, but a true Christian will do more because of love. And Paul says this to Philemon, Philemon, I know that you're about to do more than I've even asked. You know, there are some who who read this little book and they can't understand why, why Paul would send Onesimus back into slavery. Why would he send a slave back to his master? But I think Paul knew something here that we can sometimes fail to comprehend with a quick read of this. I think Paul knew that Philemon would set Onesimus free. I think he knew that. As he sent him back, I know that you're going to do, because of love, you're going to do more than what I'm asking. I'm just asking you to take him back. You're going to do more. Look at verse 22. At the same time, he says, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. So again, you've got you to catch the flow. Having, Paul said, I'm confident you're going to do even more than I ask. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, as soon as I'm released from prison, if the Lord lets that happen, Philemon, I'm going to come visit you. And, and in other words, Philemon, 
I kind of expect him to stay in your house and that Onesimus won't be there as a slave. I, I really think that, that Paul didn't expect Onesimus to still be a slave when he arrived in Philemon's house. You know, the gospel's an amazing thing. I think, well, why didn't Paul just preach straight up against slavery? Well, two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. Like, I don't know, at least four million? At least four million slaves. Can you imagine what that would have done to the church if the church began to just preach? You have to slat all those slaves free? I mean, it, it just, Paul, Paul did this, and I think this is a good lesson for us. He worked on touching the hearts of men. Not the social justice issue. Though social justice has its place. But he knew that if the hearts of men were changed, culture would change. It would follow. It would follow. He wasn't worried about Onesimus. I can send him back. Because the love of Jesus has touched the life of this man Philemon. Because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus had set him free, I know he's going to do more than I ask. Because he's a true Christian motivated by love. He'll set him free. Let's just wrap it up here. Verse 23 to the end. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, it's incredible as you consider this, the mess that can happen in relationships from time to time, just to look at the names that Paul mentions here. Mark. Mark's the one who abandoned him, man. He didn't want anything to do with Mark. I don't want that punk with me. On me. He's, he's, he's got no follow through. He doesn't stick to it. And yet here's a restored relationship. Demas. Demas is a man who eventually is gonna do the same thing. He's gonna take off because he loved the world. Or how about Luke? Luke himself was a slave. Luke himself was a physician, but he was a slave. And somehow, I don't know if Paul freed him, if his master freed him, if he purchased his own freedom, but we know this, one of Paul's greatest helps, Luke, right there beside him, serving. Paul calls them my fellow workers. That's the grace of God on human relationships. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, we come to the end of this letter and, and that's where Paul leaves it, right there. The place of grace. The place of grace. Hey, we're gonna close with a song. Uh, but as we do, I just wanna leave you with three little applications, okay? Three applications. First one's this. Just a simple question we already asked. Is there a church in your home? Is there a church in your home? If there is, praise the Lord. If there isn't, what can you do to create a culture of a church right in your house? The second is this, the providence of God. Man, whatever you're facing, remember that God overrules all. King Jesus overrules all. Look beyond the human level with the eye of faith. Look deeper than just what's on the surface. And say, Jesus, I trust you. You unfold your plan and your glory. Be glorified. Send the ripples out, Jesus, from our home and from our lives. And the third one is this. I've mentioned it a few times. A true man will do his duty. That's for women too. 
Just quoting an old quote. A true man will do his duty, but a true Christian will do more. Where's God calling you just to act in love? Where is he calling you to do more for the sake of God? Not for duty's sake, but because you love Jesus. I encourage you to do that. Worship team, I'm gonna invite you guys to come. Would you stand with me this morning? Uh, let's pray as these guys, as the crew comes up here. Great little letter, isn't it? A little gem in our Bibles. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your great grace. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in the fact that in your providence, you're just unfolding things in and through our lives. Lord, I just pray for each person here. Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, I thank you for those that are doing well. That just this morning can say, man, life's awesome. God is good. Lord, we rejoice in that and we give you thanks for that. And Lord, for those in that place, I pray that they would become more effective in sharing their faith so that they can understand every good thing that we have in you. Lord, for those that are just oh, fighting situations, got stuff going on, life has happened. Lord, we just pray that you'd pour your grace into that, that you'd meet them there, that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them encouragement, that you would fill them with hope, that you would fill their hearts with faith, that they would look to you and say, God, where are you working? Lord, I pray that we would be a people whose lives are not motivated by duty, but by our love for you. Lord, I pray that this church would be just, that the love of God would flow through it, in it, and through it, and from it, Lord, to this community. Lord, true Christian will do more. May that be us, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.